All right, turn to Esther chapter 8. Esther chapter 8. I also wanted to say thank you for all of the gifts and cards. I got a lot of very thoughtful gifts, so I'm thankful uh, for all of those. And I uh, really appreciate everyone here and that we have a church that um, is a family. I've always said uh, a church should be a place where uh, it's a family, not a place you just come to, to sit and then leave. But a church should be a family that you get to serve the Lord with and serve each other and love on each other. And so thank you for all of the gifts that everyone has given and the cards and the nice words. Um, but uh, let's look at Esther chapter 8 this evening. You know, as we go through our life, uh, I believe that the devil wants us to think about um, all the bad days that we have. And uh, there are a lot of times when we have really bad days, days that are hard and difficult and things we wish we weren't going through or didn't happen or didn't come up. And sometimes I know I, there are days that we go through and we wish we could just sleep through the whole day and not have to think about anything. Um, unfortunately, that's not reality. Um, but I think the devil wants us to get focused on those bad days or at least the bad experiences um, and to think, think about them as bad experiences or bad days. Um, but this evening, I want us to consider that uh, every day with the Lord is a good day. Uh, every day that we have to live uh, for Christ and because of His salvation, because of His love for us, if we've been saved, we're God's child. Uh, we don't have any bad days as God's children when we understand God's love for us and that He has a plan for us and He has a will for our life. And, um, and it's the best will that, uh, the best thing that could ever happen for our life is God's will and he's working it out uh, for our good. He works all things together for good to those who love him. And so often we have bad days, but I want us to look at a good day for the Jewish people, a good day for Esther, um, for Mordecai. Uh, but I want us to consider in our own life that uh, we, even though if sometimes we go through days and it feels like a bad day, when we look at it through the lens of God's will, um, and his best for us, it can be a good day. Uh, and so, Haman, as we saw last week, uh, he had a pretty bad day. He had a pretty terrible day. He woke up that day excited about having Mordecai hung on his gallows that he had built in his yard. And uh, it was an exciting day for him. He woke up. He was the first one at the palace waiting to enter the presence of the king and ask for the head of Mordecai. He was looking forward to it, but as soon as he walked in, he found out that the king wanted to honor Mordecai, and he was going to be the one to lead him in the parade in front of everybody. He was going to be humiliated. He would run home to his wife, to his friends, and cry, and before he could even finish complaining, the king's servants would take him, and he would be at a banquet with Esther and the king, and his complaining was cut short, only to find out the, the queen wants him hanged on his gallows. He's been discovered, he's been found out as an imposter, and he ends that day being hung on his own gallows, being dragged away from the king with a bag put over his head and hung on the gallows. And it was a terrible day for Haman. Uh, I, I, I can say that's not a good day. 
uh, for anybody. Uh, but um, we see this evening a good day for Esther, a good day for Mordecai, a good day for the Jewish people in the kingdom of Persia. And if there is a theme for the book of Esther, and there are several themes for the book of Esther that we could consider and focus on, but one of those, and I think one of the main themes of the book of Esther, um, is that God is able to turn around the evil that is meant towards his people for good. God is able to turn the evil that is designed against them for their good, for their benefit, for their growing. And so the last time that we met, we considered a very bad day, the worst day in Haman's life, his last day. Uh, this evening, I want us to consider a good day, a good day for the, the Jewish people. Um, I want us to consider that uh, God's deliverance for his people and God's deliverance for us. And God's deliverance isn't just partial. Uh, when he delivers, he delivers fully. When God answers prayer, He answers it fully according to His will. When God um, leads us, He leads us according to His will. Uh, he does nothing partially. Uh, he does everything fully. And so when God saved us, He saved us completely. He didn't save us and say, all right, here's a list of things you need to do to continue to keep your salvation or to uh, finally earn your salvation. No, when He saved us, He saved us fully, finally, completely, and uh, it's all of what he did for us and nothing that we have done. And so when we realize that, when we realize we've been saved, we've been born again, not by anything we've done, every day can be a good day when we understand we belong to the Lord uh, in this life. And so the devil wants us to live in discouragement and defeat and misery and without gratefulness and in complaining. But God wants us to have as we'll see this evening, joy, uh, peace, light, uh, and he wants us to have a good day, uh, every day, when we understand who we're living for. But let's, let's just read one verse, actually, towards the end. Um, verse, uh, let's see here. Verse 16, or 16 and 17. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell uh, upon them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this night that you've given us, and I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach your word. I just ask that you would help me, Lord, to have the words to say, to be faithful to the text, Lord, and I just ask that you'd speak to our hearts this evening, as only you can. Lord, help us to understand that every day we have with you can be a good day, and uh, we can have your, your guidance, Lord. We can have answered prayer in our life. We can have direction. We can have forgiveness. Uh, Lord, we, we can have provision and um, blessings from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us not to focus on what the devil wants us to think of as bad days, but, uh, Lord, help us to Think about the good days that you've given us. And I ask that you would just help us this evening to consider your word. Give me the words to say this evening, Lord. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want us to see is Mordecai's promotion. Mordecai's promotion. Look at verses 1 and 2. On that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther, the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, 
and gave it unto Mordecai, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. In this portion here, the house of Haman is given to Esther because Haman is dead. He's no longer alive. He's hanging on the gallows. And before he was hung, Ahasuerus removed his ring from the hand of Haman, put it on his own, and he was hung. And uh, now the king gives this ring uh, to Mordecai. Um, because Esther had revealed to Ahasuerus who Mordecai was. He was uh, her cousin. He was like a father to her. He raised her um, as his own child because her parents uh, had died already. And, and so the, the king recognizes this. He recognizes what Mordecai had done in raising his wife, raising the queen. And he wanted to honor Mordecai for his faithfulness to Esther. And so he takes the ring off of Haman's hand. Uh, it actually takes it off of his hand. He's already removed it from Haman. And he gives that ring. Again, if you remember, he gave that ring to Haman at one point. He gives that now to Mordecai. And we've seen what that ring represents. It represents his power. It represents his authority. Uh, it represents um, his word. And, and, and any decree that was signed and sealed with the signet of the king uh, was law. And could not be changed. And now Mordecai has been given uh, this great honor. Uh, he realize, the king realizes that Mordecai is not this person that Haman made him out to be. He's not some lawless rebel who's trying to stir the people against the kingdom. Uh, Mordecai has done much to save the kingdom, to help the king, uh, and to help him prosper. And so he wants to honor Mordecai. He's already given him a parade, and now he's giving him his ring. And Esther, in this verse, gives the estate of Haman to Mordecai. Not just his house, but his posterity, his wealth. Um, all of his possessions are given to Esther to do with as she, as she will, and she gives it to Mordecai. She remembers everything Mordecai has done for her in raising her and protecting her and teaching her and guiding her, and so she honors Mordecai with the estate of Haman. But ultimately, we have to remember it's God who has promoted uh, Mordecai. It's God who has uh, raised him to this position he is in. In this passage, in this story, you'll never once see Mordecai seeking his own glory, seeking his own promotion, seeking his own uh, prestige. In fact, we see him doing the opposite. He, uh, he, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. He mourns. He, um, he sets aside his position in the king's gate to mourn outside of the king's gate. And it's God who promotes Mordecai in this passage, and it's God who brought down Haman uh, in this story. And so we have to remember, Mordecai hasn't sought for any of this. He didn't ask for a parade in his honor. He didn't ask to be given the king's garments. He didn't ask for the ring to be placed on his hand. But God has done it for him. All throughout the Bible, the men and women that God has used in great ways have never once sought their promotion, have never once sought their honor, their glory, their prestige, their name to be put in lights for everyone to look at. No, it's God who has raised them. It's God who has promoted them. Moses did everything he could uh, to avoid leading the people of Israel. He, he, he gave his excuses. He said, I am not a good speaker. He didn't want to lead Israel out of Egypt, but God used him because of his humility. I uh, think about David. David was just a lowly shepherd forgotten by his own brothers and father, and the king uh, or, Nate, or the uh, prophet had to be reminded, oh yeah, I've got a, a younger son who's taking care of sheep in, in the field. 
uh, you can see him. And God raised him up as a, from a lowly shepherd boy to be the king of Israel. He didn't seek promotion, but God promoted him. Think about uh, the disciples that Jesus chose. He didn't choose the religious elite. He didn't choose those who had prestige. He chose the hated. He chose the publicans. He chose fishermen. He chose the common man uh, to follow him. Jesus himself came to this earth, not as a king, but as a baby, as a servant. And God used him uh, to bring deliverance to us, salvation to mankind. And so in our own life, if we desire promotion from God, like John the Baptist, we need to say he must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, the question is this evening, are you decreasing in your life? We say we want a good day. Uh, we want um, a blessed day. But are we living as if everything has to be revolving around our will and what we want and what we think is a good day? Or do we ask the Lord to decrease us, to humble us? And when we are humble, I believe God will give us a good day. Uh, God wants us to be humble. He wants us to be like John the Baptist. He wants us to, be, uh, to, to, to lower ourselves. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 11 through 12. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. This evening, we need to be encouraged to be the least. We shouldn't be living our life seeking for everyone to acknowledge our greatness. Our life is not about us and our will and our wants and everyone acknowledging how great we are, but pointing people to Christ and how great He is and what He's done for us. And as we live our life and we go through those bad days, we acknowledge uh, this is God's will for my life. This is what He wants me to endure so that I can be more like Christ, so that I can have His blessings on my life. And we can see it as a good day when we humble ourselves instead of exalting ourselves, thinking we deserve greater, we deserve worse, we deserve hell, but Christ has saved us. And He, he has a plan for our life, and we need to trust Him in those, those bad days. They can be a good day with the right mindset, with the right understanding. And so we see Mordecai's promotion. It came from the Lord. Uh, all promotion comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from man, but it comes from God. And so we need to seek His promotion in our life, not our own. Number two, we see Esther's plea in verses 3 through 6. And Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the things seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Esther has shown incredible bravery in this account, in this story. She's entered into the throne room already. Um, and she, uh, she entered that throne room knowing if she didn't have permission, she could have been killed on the spot for doing so. And yet she does it anyway because she's seeking the deliverance of her people. Uh, but we see here uh, from this chapter, her, her petition, her first petition, is only partially answered. 
um, it's, uh, and it's only partially dealt with so far. The author of this heinous plan has been hung, he's been put to death, he's gone, but the plan itself is still in effect. Uh, the evil that was designed against the Jews is still going to take place, even though Haman himself is dead. And so why is this plan in effect if the author is dead? Well, the law of the Medes and Persians, as we have been reminded time and again, cannot be reversed. It cannot be undone. Even if the author of that law dies, the law of the Medes and Persians must stand. And so when we really consider that, we, we, also, we, we realize the foolishness, first of all, of the the law of the Persians. How arrogant to think that your laws can be so perfect that they don't need to be changed. They don't need to be corrected. They don't need to be reversed. I'm thankful that we live in a country where we've had some laws in the past that have been unjust, uh, not right, but there's a system set in place where they can be reversed or altered or changed. That wasn't so in Persia, though. If a law was passed, no matter how unjust and unfair it was, it would be carried out. And that's the situation for the Jewish people here. Matthew Henry said this uh, in his commentary, Many a man's mischief survives him, and the wickedness he devised operates when he is gone. What men project and write may, after their death, be either very profitable or very pernicious. In other words, the things you do, the things you say, the way you live in this life has an effect even after you're gone. And so this is a side note, but the way that you're living, your deeds, your words, the things you say, the things you write, are they going to be profitable after you're gone or are they going to be pernicious and destructive and harmful after you're gone? The way you treat others, the way you, the, the, that you treat each other. Is it going to be profitable or is it going to be pernicious? Uh, the way you talk to your children when, when you're gone, are they, going to, uh, are they going to grow and mature because of your help and your profitableness and the way you raise them? Or are they going to uh, suffer because of the words that you've spoken to them? Our words have a lasting impact. We need to realize that. Just like Haman's words had a lasting impact. His law is still in effect in this portion of the of the text. And so the job is not finished. The lives of the Jews are still in jeopardy. The law is still in effect and something has to be done. And so Esther does uh, the brave thing. She goes into the presence of the king a second time. A second time she enters the throne room without permission, seeking deliverance for her people, uh, praying that the king will hold out his golden scepter and she would earn his favor. And she does that. She goes in again, and the king holds out his golden scepter, and she's asked again, whatever you want, uh, I'll grant it for you. And so she, again, uh, she, she is seeking for the life, the deliverance of her people. But I want us to notice some, a couple of things about her plea to the king. First, when she comes in, into the, the throne room again, we see that she is prostrate before the king. Uh, in verse 3, she fell down at his feet, and she, and she besought him with tears to put away his device. She comes in prostrate, uh, humble. She falls down on her face. She's begging for the life of her people with tears. Uh, and it's really important to, to note that uh, the, these tears that she sheds are not for herself, 
but for her people, the people she loves. She doesn't know all of them. She can't possibly know every Jew in the 127 provinces of Persia, but her heart is moved for them, knowing that their death is coming. Uh, and so she's pleading for her people, and she falls prostrate. In our own life, there might be times when we need to fall prostrate physically uh, with our body before the Lord in prayer. That's a position of prayer we see in Scripture. There are a lot of positions, physical positions uh, for prayer that we read about in the Bible. There's prayer where we stand. There's prayers where people kneel. And then there's prayers where people fall prostrate before the Lord because they're seeking uh, His help because that's the only help that, and hope that they have in their situation. And so they humble themselves before the Lord, seeking His help. Are there times in your life where you might need to fall prostrate before the Lord and ask for His help because you don't know what to do? You don't know the answer. You don't know uh, the way out. You don't know the way through. You don't know the Lord's uh, will. You might have to fall prostrate before the Lord and ask for His help in that situation. That shows humility. And that leads me to the second thing we see here, submissiveness. We see a submissiveness in her plea. A submissiveness. In verse 5, and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the things seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes. So we see here her submissiveness. All throughout this plea, she's asking for what pleases the king, for what brings the king joy, for what makes the king happy. Uh, I hope you see our uh, application here. When we go before the king, our prayers need to be, if it please you, Lord, if it's your will, uh, if this is what you want, if it makes you happy. We see that example in Christ when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nevertheless, uh, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Is that our prayer? Is that our uh, position? Do we come perhaps prostrate, but do we come submissive, asking for the Lord's will? There are those today who teach that when you pray, you just need to declare and you need to decree and tell God what he's going to do by faith and believe it. And he'll do anything you ask. No, that's not what we read when we read the Bible. We see we come to God with our petitions, yes, with our requests, with the things we care for and desire, but we pray that the Lord's will be done. We pray, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's, that's the example we see from Christ. We don't get to make demands of the Lord, but we do get to bring our requests and our petition before the Lord. But His will uh, is what we surrender to. His will is what we accept in our life. Uh, we need to come to the Lord in a submissive spirit when we pray. Do we trust God to answer our prayer the best way possible? See, when we don't come submissively, uh, we come thinking, God, this is uh, the right plan, this is the best plan, this is what needs to happen. And if it just happens the way I think, it, it, my life would be great. No, that's not how we come. We come with a submissive attitude with our requests, but understanding that God's will is best for our life. And so we come submissively. We see Esther's plea. Number three, we see the king's repentance in verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8, if you could look there. Then the king, Ahasuerus, said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Excuse me. Uh, we see the king's repentance. Ahasuerus, he, he knows that this law that was passed under his watch is not good. 
Um, it's uh, unjust. Uh, he, and he knows that it would have led to the death of his wife. And so he sees the wrong that has been done. He also knows the law of the Medes and Persians can't be changed. It can't be undone. It can't be reversed. And so uh, we see his repentance here, though. He, he doesn't give up. He does something about it. He realizes the wrong that has taken place, and he does what he can to overcome uh, this situation. And so he, he's given already the ring to Mordecai. He's already given him his signet, and he tells Mordecai and Esther to, to do with it uh, what you want, or write the law that you need to write in order for your people to be delivered. They can't reverse the law of Haman, but they can write another law that can counteract the law of Haman. But in this, I want to focus on the repentance of Ashuaras. Repentance is defined by change, a change of mind, a change of action, a change of direction. Ashuaras, he realizes the wrong that has been done, and he realizes it happened under his watch, and he does something about it to change the situation. It's not just talk. He didn't just tell Esther, Oh, gee, that's really bad, uh, bad that that happened. I'm sorry. And that's it. He does something about it. He makes a way for the, their situation to change. And so repentance is defined by change. You know, we can decide to do something all day long, but that's not repentance. We can decide to change, but until we change, there's no repentance that has taken place. In our own life, when it comes to our sin that we face in our life, that we deal with, repentance is change. There must be some... Repentance is an action. It's, it's, uh, it's a change of, of behavior. Repentance doesn't happen at the altar. A decision happens at the altar. Repentance happens when we're in the face of temptation and we make the decision not to give in to the temptation. That's repentance. Repentance happens in the moment. Uh, it's the change that takes place in our life, the change of behavior. Is there sin in your life as a believer this evening? A, a, a sin that we face, a, a sin that you, you deal with. Uh, we need to repent of it. We need to uh, confess it. And then there needs to be a change on our part. Uh, Christ will forgive us uh, as believers. He's faithful and just to forgive our sin. But uh, there needs to be a change in our behavior. Uh, rather than just a decision, decision is good, but there needs to be action accompanied with it in our life. And so we can learn from the example of Ahasuerus the importance of repentance, uh, not just in words, but in, uh, in a change of behavior. Number four, we see Mordecai's decree. Verses 9 through 14, if you would look there. That, then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, that is the month of Sivan, on the three and twentieth day thereof. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenants, and the deputies and rulers of the provinces which are from India unto Ethiopia, and hundred twenty and seven provinces, unto every province according to the writing thereof, and unto every people after their language, and to the Jews according to their writing, and according to their language. This is a side note, but if you didn't know, that verse is the longest verse of the Bible, Esther 8, verse 9. Uh, verse 10 says, though, And he wrote in the king Ahasuerus' name, and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by posts on horseback, and riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries, wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together, and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Upon one day, 
in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, namely, upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people, and that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the posts that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment, and the decree was given at Shushan, the palace. We see Mordecai's decree. This, this decree is, is simple. Every single Jew in the empire is given the right to defend themselves in, in the face of death. Uh, they're given the right of self-defense against those who would seek to kill them. Uh, every single Jew in the province, they, they're able to arm themselves, and it doesn't matter who's attacking them. If their life is in jeopardy, they can take up arms to defend themselves. It's important to note this is not an offensive command. They're not told to go out and to hunt down people who maybe have said something mean to them. No, uh, they're given the right to defend themselves in the face of danger. And very simply, we see uh, the value of human life. God values the life of his people. I'm thankful in our own country uh, we have that right to self-defense. That's something we need to be uh, grateful for, that we have that uh, privilege. And God values life, and he values the life of his people. And so this command is sent out rapidly on horseback, on camelback, on muleback. Uh, the Persian Postal Service uh, does their job, and they deliver this letter to all the nations. And that brings me to my last point, number five, the Jews rejoicing. The Jews rejoicing in verses 15 through 17. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. We see the Jews rejoicing. This was a good day for the Jewish people. The queen of the land, Mordecai, has have fought for them on their behalf. Put yourself in the position of the common Jewish person in this time and in this situation. They've got no access to the king. They have no Second, uh, second Amendment before this point. They have no rights like we do in America that we're privileged with in our country. Uh, there's nothing they can do in this situation. They wake up and they find out one day that a law has been passed that they're going to be put to death at the end of the year, and there's nothing they can do about it. They didn't ask for this. Somebody in charge hates them and wants them dead, and the king has signed off on this law, and there, there's no hope for them in this situation. I can imagine many of the Jews that were in the city of Susa, uh, they perhaps walked by the king's gate and saw Mordecai, morning, and perhaps there were many Jews that were doing the same throughout the empire when they found out about Haman's law being passed. There's nothing else they could do but to mourn and to fast and to pray and to seek God's help. And they wake up one day and they, they hear news about a parade that's happening in town, and so they walk out of their house and they look and they see Mordecai, this Jew, is has on the king's crown and the king's robe, and he's being led by the man who's written the law that they should be killed. Uh, and so I can uh, imagine some of them uh, saying, ha, it serves him right. Um, you know, this is a, a good thing that's happening, but still this law is in effect, and still their life is in jeopardy. And so that's the first good news. They wake up and they hear about this parade that this 
uh, Jewish man is being honored. Uh, that, that's good news for the Jewish people. Not only that, they find out that towards the end of that day, this man who was leading Mordecai is now hanging on the gallows that he has made uh, for Mordecai. And, uh, you know, I can imagine the excitement there. And then not only that, uh, the ring is given to Mordecai, and he writes a law stating that they have the right to defend themselves against any person who would come and seek to take their life. So this is a good day for the Jewish people. It brings them joy. It brings them light. It has honored them before the entire nation. They've been humiliated. They've been outcasts. They've been despised and hated, but now they're being honored. Uh, they're given the right. Uh, they're given dignity to live and to go about their life. This is a good day for them. Uh, God has answered their collective prayers. There's joy and gladness among the Jews in Susa. We see that in verse 16. Uh, and so this is a, a wonderful day for them. When God answers our prayer, as when God answered their prayer, that's cause for celebration. That's a good day. I wonder, do we rejoice at the answered prayer in our life? When we bring our petitions to God and there are situations we go through and there's nothing we can do, we don't know the way out, but God has answered that prayer. He's delivered us. He's given us wisdom. He's met our needs. Is it a good day? Do we celebrate or do we take that for granted? Uh, do we, uh, or perhaps, and even worse, we complain that God hasn't answered the prayer the way we thought he should. Uh, we, we ought not to live that way. We, we, ought to, we ought to celebrate and be grateful and thankful when God answers uh, prayer in our life. We, we sing about letting our light shine. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, we see the Jews here. They had a good day and they had light in their life. When God answers prayer, when uh, God blesses us, that is a perfect opportunity for us to let our light shine in this world. Uh, for us to be a testimony to our neighbor, to our coworkers, to rejoice and, and let them know about God's goodness to us and about how God has answered our prayer and God has blessed us and God has met our need and God has healed us and God has helped our family member and God has taken care of this uh, situation and we didn't know what to do, but God delivered us. That's cause for celebration. That's a good day. That's an opportunity for us to have light in this world. Do we do that? Or do we, do we just say, well, Lord, thank you for that prayer and go on and forget about it. Uh, and, and, and don't rejoice, and we don't tell others, and we don't praise Him, we don't thank Him. If anyone can have a good day in this life, it can be, it's the Christian. If anyone ought to have a good day, it's the person who's saved and who's on their way to heaven, who's been forgiven of their sins, who has a Father in heaven who loves them, who meets their needs, who cares for them, who guides them, who gives them wisdom and direction in this life. If anybody can have a good day in this life, it's, it's the Christian. I think about the Apostle Paul. If anybody in a worldly sense had an excuse or a reason to have a bad day, it was the Apostle Paul. He faced persecution. He faced imprisonment. He faced beating. He faced shipwreck. He had every reason. He had every opportunity to complain, but instead he rejoiced. He counted it all joy to suffer for the name of Christ. In the Bible, we're told to rejoice evermore. One of the shortest verses in the Bible, in, in Philippians, we're told to rejoice evermore in our life, to be grateful for every day that we have. We can have rejoicing each day. The question is, do we rejoice in our life? Do we, do we make it a point to have a good day? Or do we make it a point to complain? 
and to be unthankful and to tell God He hasn't answered our prayer the way we wanted Him to. And so, Lord, I'm not going to have a good day because things didn't go the way I wanted them to. No, as believers, every day can be a good day when we submit ourselves to His will for our life. This evening, we need to be reminded of the goodness of God in our life. Um, we can and we should go to God with our petitions. He wants us to bring them to Him. We have the freedom to go to Him. Unlike Esther, she risked her life doing that. We don't risk our life going to God in prayer. He invites us in uh, to come into His throne room and bring our requests before Him. God wants to hear our prayers. We need to come to Him humbly, submissively, and asking that His will be done and surrendering to His will in our life. And when God does answer our prayer, uh, that's a, a good day. It's cause for celebration. Every day with Christ um, is a good day. And I can't wait till that one day when we get to be with Christ and there is no more complaints, there is no more hardship, there is no more trials, there's no more suffering, there's no more wondering, there's no more guessing, but we get to be with our Lord. We get to be with our Savior. We get to be with our Heavenly Father. And we get to rejoice every day for eternity uh, with Him. This evening, though, we need to be reminded that we can pray. We can bring our petitions to the Lord. We need to pray with a, a right attitude, a submissive attitude. And when we come to the Lord with that right attitude, every, we realize every day can be a good day uh, with our Savior.